Customer success stories are one of the most powerful content that your marketing team can create. The problem is that most of them suck. The number one thing that frustrates me to see is stories where the customer was clearly not involved at all. There's no quotes, there's no headshot, there's no nothing. It's just, you know, here's a bunch of stuff we did. Well, that's not a customer success story because the customer is absent from it. There, there's no validity to it. You're, you're cutting yourself off at the knees when you produce that way because you're missing that rich, other half of the conversation, which is the experience of working with you, of achieving those results. The solution, Joel suggests that you create bite-sized, snackable customer success stories to turn more prospects on the fence to paying customers. In this Marketing Pops episode, you learn first, common mistakes that customer stories have. Second, elements of the perfect customer success story. Third, Joel's bite-sized case study strategy. And number four, how community has helped accelerate Joel's career. Now, before we get started, I've created a free power-up cheat sheet that you can download, fill in, and apply Joel's bite-sized customer success strategy. You can find that at marketingpowerups.com or find that link in the show notes and description. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing Power-Ups. Ready? Good to have you. I know it's been a while since we connected. I'm excited to talk about marketing power up specifically around case studies and success stories. I know as a founder of Case Study Buddy, uh, you, you probably know the importance of creating great success stories. I'm curious if like do teams like realize how important it is or like, I don't know, in, in where I work, it seems like it's like not priority. <laughs> It's like let's let's do SEO, let's do content, let's do blog, let's do podcasting, and then success stories only come up when like CS reaches out and be like, "Hey, uh, we need some more success stories around this use case," and that's when it, it gets. Is that what you're finding? Where like it's not really priority, but it's so important in terms of conversion and support, attention, everything else. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants them till they really want them. <laughs> Um, if they're not a priority because there are so many other more visible competing priorities. Mm-hmm. And I think over time, teams also realize that they've adopted, I think most marketers have adopted this very passive, almost learned helplessness around case studies where they feel like they have to wait for the perfect one to just show up or, well, you know, the, the accounts could always be better. So when is really the right time? Like, because other things, I think, you talk about SEO, you talk about content, those other things, they're so much easier to see recognizable processes around. Those are usually mm-hmm. the things that get prioritized. It's easy for a marketer to go, okay, I need to build a content calendar and allocate the pieces and go get, you know, that that's familiar. And case studies, it's not that they're not valuable. Like I say, like, when they show up, everybody adores them. Mm-hmm. Sales wants them. Customer success wants right. them. Marketers love them. They can bake them into so many parts of the right. campaign, but they're not top of mind because they're difficult to do. Yeah. There's other competing priorities. And I think the other piece of it is not really clear ownership mm-hmm. in most companies. It's like marketing is kind of tasked with doing these, but they quickly find they're dependent on all these other teams. Like CS, ironically, they they want them so bad, but then you turn around and, and in many cases ask them, oh, will you nominate a customer? Will you make this? Oh, no, no. That's, <laughs> you know, they, they, get, they get gun shy. So I think the importance becomes self-evident as soon as you have one. And the companies really clued in now are the ones already using them to build a moat. Right. Um, so people love them when they're there, but they're either afraid to or not aware of or just too busy to right. push, pause, and think through what it takes to go and, and get them and, and to do them well. I love you You said around being a moat because like, yeah, you know, at your heart, you're, 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 you're a copywriter. And like seeing the before and after, it's like so important. And like, this is like a perfect story and people connect to stories so much uh, uh you know it, it disarms people's objections and things like that so i think it's like really really want to double click on that that it's it's just like it's so it's so useful across the whole um use customer journey essentially uh yeah that's what it is I mean, there's so much 
utility there. Mm. I mean, we traditionally think of these stories as like, if you still subscribe to the idea of a funnel, like bottom of funnel assets or like end of journey assets. And they're certainly powerful there, but they're also fantastic in, in so many other ways. There are so many ways to tell a customer success story, for example. Like you can tell switcher stories of someone who was with a competitor and then came to you and why they made that choice and, and what that looked like. You can tell disambiguation stories where you're showing a new market how your tool actually does serve them and does work within that market. You know, the example that I point to, not a sexy one by any means, but there was a company that made these incredibly powerful, you know, medical grade type of air filtration systems and traditionally had been more in the manufacturing sector with like, you know, glass fiber, dust and things like that. But then when the pandemic mm-hmm. rolled out, all of a sudden there was this whole new market of gyms mm-hmm. and, you know, public facilities. Yeah. And all of a sudden they, they needed stories that would help them show these non-traditional markets that actually here's a an established solution that could work for you so telling stories in that way uh they work incredibly well in areas like remarketing if someone has come in and and they've come in with that intent to learn about a product or they're interested reminding them of the value others have achieved or are achieving you know they can be very powerful there and so when i talk about a moat that's also what i'm pointing to is especially, you know, very saturated, very competitive spaces. I've said this for years, you know, your competitors can steal your positioning. They can steal your branding. They can steal your features. They can steal your design. There's so much they can copy. They cannot steal unless, you know, that customer is yours to lose. They cannot steal your success stories. These are by virtue, unique examples of how you came through. And so the more you have and the more strategic you are about them, the more they can feed into ads and outreach and retention and upselling and all they become this very powerful moat. But that's not going to happen by accident or if they're never top of mind for the marketing team. So there's still a lot of evolving, I Mm. think, for for marketers to do. And that's exciting because there's still a lot of uncharted territory, I think. That's that's such a I didn't think about it. Like there's difference. You're telling a story, but there's multiple ways to tell it. It could be a remarketing, you could uh, penetrate a new market. I really love that you're saying that it's so important, this thing that you're you're talking about. You mentioned earlier about like it's often like falls into the lap of the marketing team. And uh, because and you mentioned like there isn't really like a, a clear process around this or a path and instructions. And because of that, I'm sure you've seen quite a few success stories that are like, wow, <laughs> what the heck were they thinking kind of thing. I'm, what, are, what are some common mistakes that you've seen? And feel free to like go on a rant, like an angry rant. You're like, ah, what is wrong yeah, with yeah. you guys? Why are you doing it this I mean, way? The, the number one thing that frustrates me to see is stories where the customer was clearly not involved at all. <laughs> There's no quotes, there's no headshot, yeah. there's no yeah. nothing. Right. It's just, you know, here's a bunch of stuff we did. Right. Well, that's not a customer success story because the customer is absent from it. There, there's no validity to it. You're, mm. you're cutting yourself off at the knees when you produce that way because you're missing that rich other half of the conversation, which is the experience of working with you, of achieving those results, their response to your strategy or your features, whatever. So that's the first thing that drives me bonkers. I think the second thing that drives me nuts is, you know, trying to kitchen sink it. There are case studies that are so long or so unfocused because like, here's a good thing and here's a good thing and here's a good thing and here's a good thing. And when you look at it, it's like, well, I'll tell you, like curry powder is a really good thing in a, in a curry dish, right? right? Sugar is a wonderful thing in a dessert. Um, so jalapenos good. are really great on a burrito. Uh, you know, basil is wonderful in dishes it's suited for. But when you take all of these of their own volition good things and start mixing them all together, it becomes this very distasteful, attractive to nobody story where it's like, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in here, 
but you're just bragging. You're not telling me a story. There's no narrative thread. I'm not learning anything other than here's a bunch of results. So that's, you know, a common mistake. I think another common mistake is stories that make the customer look like an idiot. Now, I don't see as many of these because they don't see the light of day because they don't get approved. But, you know, your job when you're telling a story is not to paint your client in the worst possible Mm. light so that you can paint yourself in the best possible light. It's to show people that people like them with similar challenges of a similar level of intelligence, of a similar background, made an informed decision that helped them level up. Mm. And when you make them look like hapless idiots, not only is your client not going to like that, that can seriously damage your relationship, but that's not attractive to others because others will go, well, they were really dumb, but we're actually much further ahead. So, so we're, you know, we're not in that position. So, you know, that's something that, that really gets my goat. I think you know, we've talked about this already a little bit too, but one of the biggest, stupidest, most expensive mistakes you can make with a story is to tell it one way, in one place, mm. one time, yeah, and move on. And that unfortunately is the recipe book for most businesses. They put in so much effort to get that win in the first place and then get permission to talk about that win in the first place and then capture that win that by the time something gets published, like, woohoo, and then they don't do anything with it. They, they don't repurpose it. They don't take it to different channels. They don't leverage it. They just kind of put it in a resources section or an index of content and hope that it's passively going to solve all of their problems. And that is such a missed opportunity mm. for all of uh, such a disservice to all of the effort it took to, to yeah. get that win in, in the first place and articulate it. Um, and the positive spin to that is if you already have stories, your first port of call can often be just building on what you have rather than grinding out to, to yeah. get more. There's a lot of low hanging fruit for teams. So, you know, there, there are many, many more things I could go into from boring stories to, you know, stories that are right. only available as PDF downloads that right. drives me nuts. Um, lots, you know, lots of different things we could get into, but the fundamental, most frustrating things are when you either ignore the customer Mm. or you ignore your strategy and you just tell any old story or you ignore the opportunity to, to repurpose. I think it's ignorance more than anything that really kills the opportunity in customer stories. That's so good. I mean, you know, one of the things that I want to double click on is around like reuse, like repurposing that, that case study. I know that if people look at case study buddy.com, like you, you repurpose into audiograms and one sheets and slide decks. And uh, you're really like arming the whole organization to use the success stories throughout their, their, the, the, throughout the content, throughout the whole uh, selling process, essentially. And I really, really like love and admire. Uh, that approach rather than like it's efficient, right? <laughs> like you've created this amazing story, turn it into a movie, turn it into like, uh, turn it into a TV. Sh- like you were seeing this with like Harry Potter, you turn it into a movie, a book, turn it into a movie. Now it's going to be a TV show on HBO, a video game. And There's a-, a it's yeah, video game. It's on Broadway. It's like it's yeah. everywhere. And essentially, what you're turning this like great story into its many amazing formats for for different people essentially is is what i hear yeah and i think like a really simple framework too because it's like well what is the use case for all these different pieces like you don't just want to have a lot of stuff why do this and the best analogy and framework we use is kind of nibble bite snack meal right different leads prospects clients they have different appetites for information based on how aware they are like they're different levels of hungry right someone who is nearer the end of the the buyer's journey. They might really want the detail in a full 1500 word piece. They might want to sink their teeth into the quotes and the examples and the visuals. And that might be perfectly appropriate for them. But if you take that same 1500 word format and try to deploy that in its current state in something like cold outreach, well, you might not have the buy-in from from those people to, to consume something like that, right? So 
on the one end, you have, you know, nibbles where it's like an individual pull quote mm. or, you know, a really short snippet of, of video or something very light. And then you move into the kind of this bite section. And that's where, you know, it could be a LinkedIn carousel a version of the story, you know, just very high level. It could be a slightly longer video clip. Mm. It could be, you know, like a one sheet that's just a quick hit of intrigue and information that pushes to, to something deeper. And then on the snack side of things, you know, now, okay, I'm a little bit more hungry. I'm looking for a little bit more detail. I'm, I'm more willing to kind of spend some time with this. That's where you might have, you know, 750 word pieces or slide decks that you present to the person or, you know, a bit more of a, a, a detailed kind of presentation. Then finally on, on that meal and that's where like you have this. these longer videos, yeah. these bigger pieces, mm -hmm. these more in-depth explorations of the full story. But giving your audience what they're ready for, what they're hungry for, meeting them at their level of need with these stories, that's a really simple way to think about it and to think about, okay, for the channel we're on, if we're on social, what's our audience actually right. ready for here? Is it an audiogram? Maybe it's just a short video. Maybe it's just a pull quote. If we're running an ad campaign to a brand new market, maybe it's, again, just some something small, something quick, or uh, if we're trying to do account-based marketing and we're appealing to a, a whole industry, well, they might want the, the nitty-gritty, meaty details of something more like a case study couched in a report. So coming at it through that lens gives you the ability to start perceiving the opportunities of we can tell this story in many ways, in many formats. And the other side of this too, that's even less common than doing any of that, is telling the same story, but through different perspectives. Mm. Oftentimes, people want to interview multiple people for one story. They have two, three, four points of contact they want to try to wedge in. But let's say you interview a CTO and a CMO. Well, the buying criteria and concerns of a CTO are very, very That's different yeah. from the buying concerns of a CMO, a CEO, a CFO. And so if you have the ability to talk to multiple points of contact who are familiar with the story, you don't have to wedge them all into one piece. You can turn that into different pieces of collateral with different emphasis on different aspects of the relationship that help in these increasingly more complex B2B buying decisions, it's not getting simpler. It's yeah. more people being involved than ever. You can create collateral that appeals to an individual role and, and gives them something that you want. So again, it just comes back to there's so much opportunity, so much utility if you only stop to think through what's the strategy? Who is this yeah. intended to, to, to land for? Before I continue, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, 42 Agency. Now, when you're in scale-up growth mode and you have to hit your KPIs, the pressure is on to deliver demos and signups, and it's a lot to handle. There's demand gen, email sequences, RevOps, and more. And that's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWall, Teamwork, Sprout Social, and HubDoc to build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creatives to solve your marketing growth problems today and help you build the foundations for the future, look no further. Visit 42agency.com to talk to a strategist right now to learn how you can build a high-efficiency revenue engine. Thank you also to the sponsor for this episode, HTS Free Webmaster Tools. Now, if you want to rank your website higher in search engines, you have to make sure that your website doesn't have any technical SEO issues. Because if you do, that's like trying to run a race with your shoes tied together. That's how you lose, and we don't want that. Luckily, HRS Free Webmaster Tools can crawl up to 5,000 pages to find 140 common technical SEO issues that could be holding your site back from generating valuable traffic. It can also help you find your strongest backlinks, as well as analyze keywords you're ranking for, and see keyword search volume and ranking difficulty for each of those keywords. You can sign up for free at hstraps.com forward slash webmaster tools or find the link in the description and show notes. Well, let's get back to the episode. That piece around like who, like telling the story in a different way, going with the analogy of like bite-sized snacks, like maybe somebody wants it spicy here. Another person yeah. wants it a little saltier, you know, like you're giving them the flavor that they prefer. And I really love this analogy so good. I'm like getting hungry right now. Like you're talking a little, I mean, we're going to dig into now this, like this analogy further, like 
what are some ingredients of like some great like you're already like leading into it. You're talking about strategy, but if you're talking about this bite uh bite size uh, snackable uh, success stories, I'm sure there's like common ingredients that make it great. Like what are those uh, ingredients that you find find like needs to be there so that it is uh it is like it's great to consume. Yeah, I think it, it all starts with relevance, and that comes with. I mean, it's the ultra cliche at this point, but it comes with knowing your market to a degree mm. that you can go not just what kind of metric would really impress them, but what kind of impact beyond that metric are they really looking for? Right. What What do they want to change in their world? What do they want to make possible? What pain do they want alleviated? We fixate so much on percent lift in whatever or X financial amount of change. And yes, that makes for a great hook. It's, it is a good part of the recipe if you can get a great metric, though I will argue till the day I die, you can tell a very good story without any metrics at all. But, you know, it's, it's what will be relevant and compelling to those people beyond the metric? What kinds mm. of stories do they want to see themselves in and intentionally curating those? I think you also want some element of tension and stakes in the mm. story. There has to be some consequence for getting it wrong. If no action was taken, some something negative looming in the background that needed to be attended to. And that's where, again, you have to be very careful not to paint your clients like idiots who couldn't solve a problem, but more as people who wisely chose, recognized an issue and said, we need to do something about this and, and then chose you to be their partner right. on, on that side of things or their solution for that. So tension and stakes, I think, really help. I think are, are very, I would argue, there needs to be some humanity to the story. It, right. Like quite literally, there needs to be a hero in a person, not just a brand. Yeah. Um, the best stories are about people and the decisions they make and the impacts of those decisions on them and their boss and their department and also the the future of the company and, and so on and so forth. So there needs to be a person, a hero, someone who's telling the story from the client's side. And then a really important ingredient, there has to be a clear narrative, a clear mm. thread to pull. Yeah. Um, because a collection of Nice quotes and bullet points is not a customer success story. Yeah. It's not a story at all. It's accolades, it's details. Mm. But if you want to tell a story, there has to be a clear before, during, after trajectory, the, the whole infomercial kind of format. There has yeah. to be a world before, an experience of the solution, and then something that came about because of it. So I think those are all really key ingredients. Now, there's other ingredients that can spice things up or okay. make things appealing, like you know, the the MSG of case studies is really great polished design. Um, mm -hmm. You know, having something that is visually compelling, uh, you know, I don't think it's critical, but we're seeing more and more companies engage with interactive. So things that swing in or pop out, not to the right. point it's distracting, but just different media that I can engage with as I choose, whether I want to see audio in there or video in mm. there or kind of choose my own adventure and how I want this story to speak to me. Um, but I think those first things I mentioned are all core ingredients that make for something, whether it's video, whether it's written, make for something compelling and angled toward impact versus just angled toward bragging. Um, so that's what I, you know, we look for and what we try to create on our end and what we encourage whether it's clients or people who are trying to DIY, it's what we try to encourage them to look for as well. I love that. I love, once again, this analogy is so good. The whole MSG concept. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, oh. Well, 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 yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go eat because I'm getting hungry. <laughs> uh, can, you, you've done a lot of, I think I saw on your site uh, that people should check it out, but over 1,500 or maybe it's more by now in case that, in case yeah, success stories. We've you... got to be way past that. I'm guessing. I'm sure. It's. I mean, we've been at this over seven years. Yeah, um, and there are some clients we've worked with who have done just on their own fifty in a year. So wow, you know, it, it compounds a lot over time. Um, yeah. But yeah, we've seen a lot and we put together a lot. Fifty. You have. I'm guessing it depends, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on like how many 
success stories. I mean, it's the more, the better, just because like you can, I mean, cherry pick based on case studies or uh, product uh, use cases or verticals, but like, I'm sure you can have multiple under those different use cases. So you have a suggestion on like how many is um, good? <laughs> yeah. I think, think of it through the, I mean, keeping with the food analogies, think of it through the lens of like a menu, right? Yeah. Um, mm. Different flavors for different folks, right. different dishes for different people. Yeah. All of it good, but appealing to, to different individuals. Mm. I think when I talk about a company doing upwards of 50 a year, you have to realize for that to be worthwhile at all, there needs to be a clear sense of what are the coverage gaps you're filling? You right. don't just want to tell stories to tell stories. Yeah. Volume in and of itself is impressive. You know, it's amazing to go to Salesforce's site and see they have 10 trillion testimonials. I mean, there, there's an element of trust in that itself, yeah. right? But the, the real reason to um, go for more stories is yeah. because you're ticking more boxes in terms of coverage right. gaps. So I mentioned earlier, but some of those stories might be very specific rip and replace. I'm using software now, but rip and replace, right? If I, if I have 10 core competitors, uh, I, I can easily have three stories each per competitor yeah. over time building up of, of, of people who've switched from them to us and why they made that choice. And you start compounding, you know, rolling in company size or the roles involved. And now you can see how this can get quite big. Right. quite fast and where you need to have a, a clear sense of priority and what gaps you're even trying to fill. You can have these rip and replace stories. You can have these disambiguation stories. You can have stories that um, sell not the core product, but the add-on features or upsells mm. help people navigate that. Uh, you can have implementation stories that only focus on the experience of getting going. You can have just a, a myriad of different stories told about the different scenarios your clients will find themselves in or the different pains they want to alleviate or the different buying criteria they have when they when they make a decision to get to that point and to do it meaningfully you have to take a step back hmm. look at your own business and revenue goals whether for the quarter for the year and say what stories would be best for the place we're in to, to empower these conversations and start there and, and then, you know, you can, you might be in a place where you only have 50 clients, period, and you're never going to get 100% hit rate. So I'm not trying to say again, like you should right. be doing that many. Yeah. But regardless of your company size, your client base, there's power in taking a step back and saying, okay, strategically, for our business goals, for our revenue goals, for the clients we want to attract, the problems we want to solve what types of stories will help us have those conversations right. and then intentionally curating that as opposed to waiting for it to come to you. And the bonus of this is we talked earlier about, you know, part of the reason these don't get done is because teams are so dependent on each other and don't even realize it. Well, when marketing can come to CS or when marketing mm. can come to sales and say, we want to produce things that enable conversations for you, that make your job easier. We want to have a conversation with you about what those stories could look like, what those formats could look like. We want you to have a voice in what we're doing. Not only do those teams feel more recognized yeah. and they're more likely to participate in the first place, but now it gives you a short list of things that you can take back and go, okay, well, here's the criteria we're going for this quarter. Nominate people like this. And it makes it way less ambiguous, yeah, way easier to participate. So putting some bumpers on the bowling alley, some focus to this, yeah. it makes an enormous difference to ever achieving that kind of scale. Yeah. You will not get there without some kind of structure. That makes a, a ton of sense. Let's talk about let's talk a little bit about that structure. Um, you know, in terms of process, I think I saw on your site, like you interview a few folks uh, or some folks within that company. Um, I'm guessing like you use some kind of like question that's aligned to like jobs to be done, like before, uh, during and after. Is that, is that, uh, can you talk a little bit about that process? Like what is, uh, how do you create those uh, amazing, uh, what is that called? The uh, Michelin star dishes of success stories. 
Yeah. I mean, so much happens before you ever get the customer involved, right? Yeah. Um, for our part, the success of the story lives in a couple of places. Number one, helping our client set the right expectation with the customer because the customer needs to know what am I going to be asked about? Is it safe for me to participate? Why should I take yeah. part? So, so there's some behind the scenes work that goes on in terms of helping them make better asks, more consistent asks, prime that customer to come ready to tell that story. The other thing we really depend on and work with our clients on, it's not, a, again, not a sexy secret bullet thing, but a really good brief. We don't want to get on a call with a client until we have as much context right. reasonably as is available for their story. We don't have to know everything. We don't need to have the whole, you know, start to finish every minute detail. But if we can know before going into that call how the relationship has gone, what they originally came in looking for, what their win has looked like, what KPIs should we be asking about, what KPIs are available you know, what coverage gap does this story fit in? There's a lot of work that happens there because what we don't do and what I firmly believe nobody should do is take the same 10 questions and go mm. to every customer you have and ask those same 10 questions mm. and hope you get these wonderful, incredible stories. We use that context to use that minimal amount of interaction we get, 30 to 60 minutes tops. And 60 is only... You know, we're doing a video and there's lots of learning pieces, so on and so forth. We, we want to spend that time going deep, not wide. Right. We do not want to be both simultaneously discovering their story for the first time on a call and trying to go right. deep on the minutia of that story. So, yeah. so much of it is about doing the legwork in a really efficient way, getting the context in a way that doesn't feel like a chore for anybody. And then using that to inform the conversation that you have and then writing or filming or editing to that brief toward that strategy, mm. keeping all of that in mind. That's how you arrive at these, for us anyways, these strong stories, these intentional mm. stories is the clearer you are on setting expectations, gathering the context, knowing the story or the, the angle you want to take. You can still be open to pivoting if the story presents itself differently in the conversation. The clearer you are going in, the stronger you are coming out. That's and right. that's, you yeah. know, when we talk structure, that's what setting that all up is for. It's not meaningless, busy work. It's not that, you know, you, 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 we want to make it more complicated than it needs to be. People, you know, yeah. I was reading today, so I was like, I'll just send my client like some stories you know, or not some stories, some questions over email and that'll be our story. And it's like, oof, like <laughs> it could work well, you know, right. It, could go the way you want it, but it probably won't because yeah. you'll be missing the conversational part of that and the whole, why are you asking those questions? Why not other questions and all of the legwork? So it's, we don't want to meaninglessly complicated or needlessly complicated, but there are things up front you can do to put everyone in a better position to produce something great. Yeah. That's so good. That you're really driving into that. In terms of like, you know, I was, I was leading when I was mentioning around how many success stories, uh, customer success stories you are creating with your team. I was curious, like, if there's one that really stands out, you probably, probably hard to pick one from all the thousands that you've already created. But is there one that like really stands out for you uh, that you're either you're most proud of or you're, you think would be cool for, for my audience, marketing audience? Uh, to to check out as to like what does uh you know this this process or this uh ideal uh success story you're talking about looks like yeah so I want to be fair and I'll, so I'll give some that we didn't do mm. and I'll give some we did okay. because <laughs> you know I'm not so arrogant as to think that even after all of the things we've done yeah I'm not so arrogant as to think we're the only ones who've nailed it so one of my favorite stories I've ever seen is not one we did mm. I wish we did it um. But a company called Mutiny, yeah. the site is Mutiny HQ. So, yeah. If you go to their site and you go to a section called Playbooks, they have the best action-driven case studies I've ever seen, Yeah. period. And there's elements to these that are so good and so well thought out. Um, for example, 
in their top section of, of the story, you'll see a, a little call that says, what you'll learn, what you'll need. They make mm-hmm. a promise off of the top. Yeah. Here are the things you're going to be able to do by the time this, this story is finished. Here are the things you're going to need to be able to do it. Now, that's not only smart because it sets an expectation, yeah. but within that things you need, mutiny is going to show up there. So if you want the result that this person got, yeah. well, they're part of the recipe for getting that. But right. what they've also done an incredible job with in these stories is making their customer the hero and the smart one. Yeah. So these playbooks are literally things that their clients have done and demonstrations of not only the, the how, but the story surrounding the how, what challenge they faced, why they thought this was the solution, how they literally, how they implemented and you can go do the same and then the ROI that they achieved. And so what it leaves you with is something that feels very credible, right. very inspiring of action because I can go, they did it, they're like me, I can do it too. So yeah. those stories I, I think are phenomenal and some of my favorite examples. Uh, in terms of work that we've done, I mean, there's there's so many that um, you know that I'm proud of. I'm really proud of the on location video um, featuring Zendesk that we did for Playbox. Nice. That was yeah. uh, a really you know challenging and interesting scenario, and the way that came together and what we were able to get out of ultimately a, a relatively constrained situation. I think it's a good example of storytelling under constraints. Um, there are some stories for uh, HubSpot for startups. Yeah. And what excites me about that is not only Ron Dawson on their side, who leads the charge for, for the, that program on the North America side, has this very cool vision that he is actioning of these very inclusive stories showcasing yeah. um, uh, you know, underrepresented groups and underrepresented founders, but also just these really great stories where HubSpot is not the marquee in the story. It's really about these people. When you read these stories, it's almost more like I want to be like the people doing this with HubSpot than it is just, oh, I should be on HubSpot. And so, you know, we had the opportunity to contribute to some of those and and help tell those stories in a bit of a unique format. So I'm tremendously proud of the way those came together. And again, like Ron Dawson deserves a ton of credit for, for the way it came together and the way it presented. But that's kind of the great thing about what we do is when we have partners that have these clear visions and cool ideas, we get to be part of of having those expressed. I think um, I'm also tremendously proud of the stories we've done for Veronis in the cloud security space for an odd reason. And that's because we, we will have done over 100 stories for them at some point in the coming year just for them. Yeah. 90 plus percent of those are anonymous. So we've had the very unique challenge of how do you tell a very compelling story over 90 times with anonymous customers at the center? And it has to be anonymous because in many cases, you talk about breaches or a very intricate part of a security stack. And so I'm just so proud of my team because they have been able to keep it fresh and compelling and find the unique angles in stories that span, you know, a product suite in stories where they can't just lean on the logo to make it compelling. So I'm very proud of the work that we've been able to do there for them, because to me, it's proof that anonymous stories can be strong and can make an impact. I will link all of those uh, in the description and and show us the super, that anonymous piece is like, wow. I've never, I don't know any book or movies where, no, I mean, they they don't have a name, but they have a face. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm just trying to think through that. But thank you so much for sharing those. I want to shift gears and talk about career power-ups. You yourself, I think you've been in tech for over 15 years. You have some jobs like SEO specialist, you're a tech columnist at CBC, you're a copywriter, and now you're founder of Case Study Buddy. Here's like that. What's a power up that's helped you kind of level up your career? Whether that's you being a founder or being a marketer, copywriter, or could be related to marketing itself, or it could be related to softer skills uh, or networking. Uh, so curious what for your power up is. Yeah, 
I've been really reflecting on this a lot because it's something I feel I've lost in recent mm-hmm. years that I'm working to get back. And that is the ability to authentically participate in community. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of what has become possible for me, so many of the doors that have been open, whether for clients or for learning or for uh, just friendships even, yeah have come from the willingness to be part of a community without constantly trying to extract from the community. Um, I've been thinking through, you know, where my first marquee really client came from. Um, The big big project, you know, it's dated now that I've been known for. I worked on HubSpot. You know, I had the chance to do some work for for HubSpot. And that was the first visible brand that I got to work with. And people, I, how did you get that gig? Did you, was it RFP? Did you apply for it? Did you, right. you know, and the answer is not, there's no secret hack. It's that, well, Barbie was doing work I loved and enjoyed and I thought was cool and I was doing work that he thought was interesting and neither one of us at the time had anything to offer the other or sell the other. We just connected yeah. because we appreciated the other person and kept that conversation going. And so when Matt wound up at HubSpot and had a need, um, yeah. I was given an opportunity to prove myself. And I think that gets lost, especially for new marketers and younger yeah. marketers. I think the older you get, maybe the more you figured out the longer you've been in industry, the more you realize like in the same way that it like took very little time in the working world for me to realize like every company is chaos. <laughs> like every <laughs> single one. There's not a company on the planet that doesn't have some degree of chaos behind yeah. the veneer. The realization that every company is just comprised of people. Mm. Like it sounds like such a banal statement, so but like yeah, every company is just individuals doing their best trying yeah. to make their mark and have an impact and you can get to know individuals and it's yeah. not just you know like well, i'm gonna pitch the ceo or i'm gonna you know xyz it's like yeah so much of my opportunity has come from moments where i wasn't seeking opportunity at all and i was just trying to help or yeah make friends or connect and so it, whether that's in-person events online communities just answering email with someone yeah. who asks for you know like for me there there are copywriters who've shown up in my inbox as newbies asking for help and i thought okay i'll take the 10 minutes shoot them a little quick video and then they go on to do amazing things and they bring you with them right you know they, they're like hey i'm at right. x giant unicorn company now and you've always been good to me and i know you're doing this thing so mm. would you like to come so it's just you know making these connections building these relationships yeah. Being part of a community without constantly looking to mine that community for value, I think that's been a power that's intentionally or not benefited me a great deal. That makes a, that really makes me reflect on a lot of things like, you know, how I ended up where I am. It's through people that I connected with introducing me to that, to that opportunity. And you're right, like you, you never know, like the person that you connected with over email might end up, um, you know, client or, or, or something else or business partner or, or yeah, it's super cool to, to hear that. Yeah. I want to, uh, one final question around, you know, very similar to, to this career power up, uh, but you can answer it in many ways. If you can send a message back in time to a younger Joel, uh, who was like maybe starting out in marketing or career, uh, what would be an advice? What once again around mark? It could be around marketing or around community or uh, any tip that you would you you could send back to that younger Joel. What would be that that tip or that advice? Be yeah. Get over yourself and ask for help. Um, you know, I, I think there's so much noise. Everybody wants to look competent and capable and like they're crushing it and look at my numbers and look at my stuff and buy my book and take my course and there's nothing wrong with that on its face but 
I, I wasted way too much time muddling through figuring things out the hard way because I didn't want to look vulnerable or I didn't want to look stupid or I wanted to be seen as competent. Um, and I wish I had just asked for help more often, mm. been more willing to be wrong, been more willing to be vulnerable, been more open to the idea that other people have a lot to contribute and a lot to yeah. say and they're not a threat and you asking a question is not you know reflective of of weakness um yeah i think that's what i would say is just like be Don't curious and and get over it and just ask ask for help yeah. and be interested yeah don't write people off um again when you're when you're building your own thing and you're putting your head down and you're trying to build authority and all that stuff it's very easy to drink your own kool-aid and think oh i i know what i'm doing i'm i'm doing it well i can figure this out um yeah. I, th I think that would be the message is just you know ask for help um love that so good what are your thoughts about those threads like thumping the chest like oh i have you know like uh yeah i'm i'm curious like are you over are you over that it's just like oh man another person like uh bragging about their you know like trying to i don't know, get followers or yeah just you know i've i've softened a bit i used to really get upset about that stuff and lash out and you know it used to really frustrate me that people that I perceived as not being the real deal were mm -hmm. selling courses or you know, writing these big threads and thumping their chest. And I think I've softened a bit because the realize even something like cold outreach, you know, you get this cold outreach and it's, it's like, it's like when you're driving a car, there's, it's like a weird scenario where there's like very visceral anger that just comes out of nowhere. Like, why am I mad at an inbox? Like, this is stupid. Yeah. I think the realization that like, it's all a game. Mm. Really? Every, yeah. It's all a game. Everyone's yeah. just trying to build their empire, make their mark. Some yeah. people are going to do that in a way that appeals to me. Some people are going to do that in a way that I find gross, but appeals to others yeah. and expending energy. You know, it's, it's hard not to even now, but burning cycles. I'm like, look how dumb this is. Look how frustrating this is just takes me away from playing the game my way, right? right? And the realization too, the hidden secret, a lot of the people making the most noise are also the most insecure. Mm. That's why they're doing it. They, they need to be seen. They need to be validated. Yeah. They need you to think they're smart. And I yeah. say that as someone who's been there and been that mm. person. Um, they're doing it because, number one, again, they... They want the economic opportunity that comes with it, but there's fear, I think, a lot right. of the time. Not universal, yeah. but I think a lot of these people are scared that yeah. if they don't, they won't be relevant, or they won't be known, or they won't be remembered, or they won't keep up. And so, you know, I think I've softened to it because I see I see this side of it where it's like, I understand the game you're playing. Yeah. I might not like how you're playing it. Yeah. But I see the game you're playing. And then simultaneously, like at the end of the day, choosing to be, I've talked about this a little bit lately, but choosing to be curious about why something works or what someone's mm. done as opposed to angry at the way they're doing it. Yeah. Just is better for your blood That's pressure so and your, your <laughs> career path. That's so true. I love, I love. I, I tweeted recently like when I was young in my career like I would like try to wow people with data be like oh like you know let me like do a regression and like do this and at the heart of it I was like it was trying to cover up my insecurity so I think it's interesting that you say that you know it, it could be a sign of insecurity um, and I, I say that like uh, being too data driven as a marketer is often a sign of insecurity and maybe like writing those like uh those threats could be as well really really insightful i never thought about it that way yeah i mean i think at very least we all want to be liked mm. we all want to be heard we yeah. all want to feel like we've got something to give 
And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. I read a post the other day, someone saying like those people leaving really detailed, helpful comments on your LinkedIn posts are not doing it for you. They're doing it for them. And he's not wrong. You know, it's, we're, we're all playing the same game. game. And the more I learn to divorce myself personally from that and just play it in the way I feel is yeah. good for me, the better off I ultimately am. And yeah. I think bringing it back to that noise will always be there. But yeah. it's been my experience. I have made way more money, way more happiness off of actual one-to-one connections that's true than hanging a pot and pan about my numbers so well that was it that was such a fun time maybe it's because joel is also a canadian like i am but you can find out more about joel and his work at casestudybuddy.com or follow joel on linkedin and twitter all of those links are in the description and show notes below thank you to joel for being on the show if you enjoyed this episode you'd love the marketing power-ups newsletter i share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers you can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use to hit their kpis consistently and wow their colleagues i want to say thank you to you for listening and Please like and follow Marketing Power Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you feel like extra generous, kind of leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment on YouTube. It goes a long way in others finding out about Marketing Power Ups. Thanks to Mary Sullivan for creating the artwork and design. And thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing Power Ups. Until the next episode...